Dan, shameless self-promotion shameless time. Shameless self-promotion time. But it's the same thing. I'm uh-huh. shamelessly self-promoting again. I do gaming retreats, and I want you to come to a gaming retreat with me in July of this year. So you've got a few months. Yeah. Go play games with Dan. Go play games with Dan. I have rented a vacation home. Mm-hmm. I've hired a caterer, and it's just five days in a house full of gamers and food. And so go to my website, thedanwells.com, and sign up for it. I still think gamer is, we need to diversify that term. Because gamer can mean a gambler. I know. It can mean video gamer. It can mean board gamer. Well, and any time you're, like, Mm -hmm. filling out an online form, it's Mm -hmm. like, what industry do you work in? If you put gaming, they think that you mean gambling. They do. Which is not the case. I rarely ever gamble on D&D. The other thing is, Speaking along those same terms, the entertainment industry doesn't include us. Yeah. The entertainment industry (laughs) is the film industry. That's just what they call the film industry on Mm -hmm. all of those forms. And it was really interesting when I was jumping through various hoops to be able to get first-run movies at my theater because I have Mm -hmm. the right kind of thing. It's a screening room. I want to be able to eventually, if my own films get made, be able to show them there and stuff. So there's some hoops to jump through, right? And so they'll send you this form and be like, in what part of the entertainment industry do you work? They don't mean novelist in that, right? I'm like, yeah. What do you pick? Because there's never a good one. Yeah. Sometimes I'll just click entertainment anyway. Yeah. Sometimes I'll go media. Media is probably even what... Even though they usually mean journalist. They do, but I think we're in the media industry. I think yeah. that's the worldwide, that's a separation between film and mm-hmm. stuff is media, even though films are media, aren't part of the media industry. Yeah. They're the entertainment industry. They're the entertainment industry. If it's vague enough that they just have a category for arts and entertainment, yeah. that's what I click. But anyway. They rarely have a space wizard category, which is what they really need. Space wizard yeah, category? space wizard category. Food heist specialist. Uh-huh. Scholar. Speaking of, do you want to hear one? I do. So this happened very recently. This actually just happened this week. At time of filming. A brewery in Aurora, Colorado. So first of all, they probably had it coming because they live in Denver. (laughs) Someone broke into the smoker at 4 a.m. Okay. And stole $5,000 worth of brisket and pork. Okay. Only $5,000, huh? $5,000. Well, and that seems low to me because when they get down here, it was 160 pounds of brisket and 120 pounds of pork on the smoker. They came in with like bolt cutters and mm-hmm. they opened the smoker and they took it all and then it was gone. Now, remind me, I could be wrong on this. Listeners, I'm sorry if I'm wrong, but often isn't the amount stolen a determination in which category of crime it is? Yes. Right? And so my question to you, let's posit a hypothetical okay. that 5,000 is that dividing line between like, you know, <laughs> misdemeanor and larceny or whatever. Okay. Do you weigh it and then put back like one piece of brisket so that you're at $4,999 <laughs> stolen? You accidentally steal too much mm-hmm. and you get back to the warehouse <laughs> and some evil food heist mastermind is like, you stole the extra pound? This was supposed to be a food heist misdemeanor. Not a felony. Mm -hmm. Well, and, you know, given those 160 pounds of brisket by itself, they're going to sell that for more than $5,000 total. You think? I feel like. Okay. I wonder if that's the cost to them of the meat. It's got to be. You're right. That's a lot because a pound of brisket 
when we order it, do some math here, Donald. Like, it's like 30 bucks for a pound of brisket. From a good place. From a good place, right? So 160 pounds. What is that, though? That might, you know. Maybe that works out. That might just work out. We're not math people. 160 pounds of brisket, 120 pounds of pork. I feel like cost, like what they'll eventually make from it. So you'll get at least 2,400 for yeah. the brisket. Yeah. Average is like about 15 See? to 20 bucks. See, I don't, Here, I think. add the- them up. 280 pounds divided into $5,000. How much are they charging per pound for their meat? Okay. 280 pounds, $5,000. I'm curious to know. Everyone so should go bucks, to this place. 20 bucks a pound? About. Yeah. Because that's a pretty good deal. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is in Aurora, so you don't want to go to it. What do you have against Denver? Denver's the worst place I like on earth. Denver. Denver's terrible. What is wrong with Denver? Have you been to Miami? <laughs> I have been to Miami a couple of times. Sorry, Miami. I just had to. <laughs> like, what's wrong with Denver? Denver is endless rolling hills of subdivisions. Okay. Denver is so is Utah. All the self-importance of Los Angeles with all the scenery of Kansas. There are mountains. They're gorgeous. There are mountains near Denver. Yes. It bothers me that they claim to be a mountain city when the mountains are over there. You can see them from Denver. Okay. Have you been to Nebraska? <laughs> I have. Okay. But yeah, those but are ne- mountains you Nebraska can see. Nebraska isn't like, we're the mile high city. Mm-hmm. And, you know, plenty of places are a mile high. Get over yourselves. Denver is great. I recognize that my hatred of Denver is irrational. You hate Denver because they steal all our water, huh? The rain comes through and dumps on that side of the mountains, and, you know. I have gotten to completely destroy Denver in two of my book series, although I did find a really good Mexican place downtown near the convention center, and I have canonically declared that that place survived the apocalypse. I like Denver. It's got good bookstores. Denver has very good bookstores. Has nice people. Has nice scenery. It's easy Denver's to... tattered cover, right? Yeah, yeah. That's a great bookstore. It's gorgeous too. It's in yeah. an old theater. It's easy to drive around in. Like... No, it's not. Nobody in Denver knows how to drive. Have you driven in L.A.? Yeah. If I have to go on tour and drive myself, I will pick Denver every time. See, every time I say something bad about Denver, you're like, "What about this other city?" Yeah. The problem is, yes, you're going to find. Worse drivers, and you're going to find worse this and worse that. But Denver has like the second worst of everything all in the same no. city. Denver is one of the easiest cities to drive in when I had to go on tour and drive myself. It was Denver and Portland that I could get around in really easily. I like Portland. Seattle, LA, San Diego, like really hard to drive in. And when I was driving to Denver, I'm like, ah, oh, it's so pretty driving here. Oh, first of all, it's not pretty. Denver is the no, beigest city in the to world. Denver. Well, is really pretty. Okay, but that's not Denver's doing. Denver took me through those beautiful <laughs> mountains and then easy to drive around in, easy to get to the bookstores. I like Denver. Nah. You are welcome to like Denver. Mm-hmm. Denver can suck it. Okay. Well, there you go. I'm sure this will be entirely uncontroversial. Completely uncontroversial. Yep, absolutely. It is high time that Denver got what's coming to it. Let's talk about something that actually relates to, you know, something relevant. Oh, you don't think 
irrational hating. Denver hatred is relevant. Yeah. We were going to talk about trunk novels trunk and like novels. abandoned books. Yes. Trunk novels. I first heard this term from my agent. Way back in the day? Way back in the day. Trunk novels and novel you wrote before you got published that you threw in the trunk. And mm-hmm. he specifically said to me, he's like, be very careful publishing your trunk novels because those are the novels you wrote before you were good enough. Mm-hmm. And he had the experience where some of his authors would get popular. They'd break in. And they'd be like, wow, now I can sell all these old novels. And what happens is you get really good reviews for your first few books. And then your next one comes out that was a trunk novel. No one knows it. And they're like, wow, this author's gone down in quality so much. And he always warned about that. That's why my trunk novels, we have like the The special collection. Special collection. We give them out, the e-books for free. And you can get them. So Way of Kings Prime and Dragon Steel Prime. So you can read them if you're curious, mm-hmm. but that we're not holding up to my current writing caliber. Well, and we're very overt that we release these unedited. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Although I do know that on one of them, Peter fixed the spelling of some dude's name. Yeah, he can't help himself. <laughs> he has to go in and fix some things, but... Yeah, so trunk novels. We should talk about our trunk novels. Because mm-hmm. you have some really fun ones. <sighs> I do. I have published one trunk novel. Yes, you have. Which is uh, Night of Blacker Darkness, which Uh is my kind of historical horror comedy vampire book. Uh That is not out in print, but there are ebooks, there are audiobooks. That's the only time that I've gone back and done one, and I revised it like 10 times before I felt like it was good enough. And I, I don't think I've actually, without the prime thing, done any but we've gotten close with white sand yeah right white sand has the graphic novel and i keep thinking like i've been telling people i think i'm gonna go back and do like an actual canonical version for the cosmere Mm -hmm. so that would be my first like actual published trunk novel actual trunk novel pulled out and cleaned up so my first novel white sand so i wrote it in korea i started writing i didn't have a lot of time Mm -hmm. but the very first Thing that I wrote, not counting like my high school stuff that I never finished. So the first novel I finished, I remember we had a long bus ride. We were going to some conference or something, you know, for missionaries. And so got on the bus next to my companion and I had a notebook. I'm like, this is like three hours. What am I going to do? I'm like, well, I'll just start noodling on some world building mm-hmm. because I'd been doing some writing before. And I noodled on that world building, got really excited about this world. And eventually just on, you know, the day off. I would start working on the story. I hand wrote it on these large, not legal pad, sketch pads because they were easy to find and get a hold of. And I liked the large format of them. Mm-hmm. And it was White Sand that I wrote. Yeah. And I have not read the graphic novel. Mm-hmm. So I have to ask did the little kind of pneumatic wrist guns survive yes. into that version? So one of the issues, Isaac's done a ton of work making the graphic novel work and things. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these things are there, but what we discovered, why we haven't done as much work with graphic novels going forward is my world building given to somebody else to try to draw and Mm -hmm. make without my direct oversight. Because White Sand, I had to hand it off. I'm like, you know, we kind of thought, hey, you'll read the book and you'll be able to... A lot of that just didn't translate, Mm -hmm. didn't work. So a lot of these things are there, but aren't as relevant or as interesting as I want them to be. Mm. And some you'd be like, that's in the book? Yes, it's technically there. So yeah. Okay, that's interesting. The thing about it is, is like, it went through various incarnations, and that part got de-emphasized 
even mm-hmm. before it went to the graphic novels. But they are there. They are still there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, White Sand is one of, if not the very first books of yours that I read way back in college yeah. writing group. I think it was number two. I think I submitted Elantris first, but as a full novel, and we're like, this is too much Might have been. to do. And then I started into White Sand. It's the first one that we like, yeah. Really workshopped. And you were submitting in that one deeper into chaos. Was that your first yeah, novel? Yeah, that was the first one. And again, first one that I finished, mm-hmm. which is trunk novel in that the only place it has ever been published is part of BYU's honors thesis yeah. publication series. Mm-hmm. And every now and then someone will go and find it in the BYU library and read it and then email me and say, hey, this is weird. And I'm like, yes, it is. <laughs> that was essentially Warhammer fantasy fan fiction, very thinly veiled. Yep. Which I had no experience with. I think I've told this story before on the <laughs> podcast. So we'll probably move <laughs> off of these two books soon because we haven't talked mm-hmm. about our other books nearly as much. But I love the story of, I'm like, wow, the world building, the magic, so fascinating. And you're like, thank you. And then later on, I find out it's it's just it's me somebody else's. stealing a thing. There were things that I did to the chaos magic that I feel like are innovations, but they're not enough, Yeah, right? It was what about the book melting into the tape? Flavor. That's my favorite image from that. That's all me. Okay. Well, um, you did a good job with that description. Thank you. I remember it 25 years later mm-hmm. that Tivneri has this book, and it's like a chaos book. It's like a Necronomicon sort of thing. Yeah. And the table just kind of warps around it and starts sinking into the table. It's a great image. Yeah. A kind of magic that basically just increases entropy around it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Tivneri, he was fun. What's your second book? So after I finished that one, mm-hmm. that's when I wrote Blacker Darkness. Okay. So that's and then two. the next one after that was The Legend of Crag. Do you remember that one? This isn't Barry. This is... This is Barry. This is Barry. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I remember Barry. <laughs> so this is a trunk novel that will never see the light of day. Yep. But it was me trying to be fantasy, but also me trying to be very dark humor and weird at the time. Basically... The premise of it is like in Greek and Roman mythology, there's the idea that, you know, the Titans used to be in charge, Mm -hmm. but then their children, the gods, overthrew them, locked them in jail, and then they took over and they got to be the gods. And so I took that to its ridiculous extreme and like 20 generations later, as each kind of God, they overthrew their parents and locked them up, and they're like, now we're in charge. And so by the time you get down to the weakest, most pathetic, pointless divine beings... Right, because you lock away the God of the sky. You can't be the God of the sky. There's already yeah. a God of the sky just locked away. you mm-hmm. got to then be the God of thunder. Yeah, So and then the God of thunder gets locked up yep. by the God of loud noises, and yep. the God of loud noises gets locked up by the God of quiet noises, and... So in the end, the all-father kind of figure who was in charge of everyone was the god of berries. There was the god of chopped lettuce, the god of unpronounceable words, all of these different things. And the main driving plot of it was that at this point, there was nobody left who knew how to manage the underworld. Mm -hmm. And so people who died did not go anywhere. They just hung around and were still alive or still, you know, talking and moving around despite being dead because hell was full because there was nobody in charge of it. And it was a completely ridiculous novel that I felt had 
a couple of good ideas in it, but for the most part, it was just a disaster. Yeah, I remember that time, and I feel like I could be wrong. Tell me if this is what happened. You were doing Night of Black or Darkness, and we were all laughing a lot. Mm -hmm. We were all really enjoying it. And when you did Barry, I thought, maybe you're like, wow, I found something that the writing group likes. I'm going to continue on with that. But deep down inside, you are a (laughs) twisted person who wants to break things and break people. And so you're like, but I can't just make it funny. It's got to be funny and twisted. And yeah. And those two sides didn't work together as well mm-hmm. as it did in Night of Blacker Darkness. Yeah. After Blacker Darkness, which is very specifically a comedy book, yeah. this is my most overtly, I am writing a humorous fantasy kind of novel. It was me trying to mm-hmm. be Pratchett or Adams okay. or somebody like that and failing just horrifically. I remember the book fondly, but I don't remember laughing, <laughs> which I'm sure that we did because mm-hmm. you're a funny guy. But that was your number three. My number two was a book I don't think you ever read because I wasn't submitting to the writing group. But it was called Star's End. I have heard of Star's End, yeah. and I have read some of Star's End. Have you? But yeah. you didn't submit it to the writing group. I think that was just Leading Edge read that. Yeah, because my early books, I wanted to try a bunch of different genres. So this is not really a space opera. It's I don't know what to call it. It's like it's like a Star Trek episode. That's what it's like. <laughs> mm-hmm. It is a guy who gets assigned to a station that's job is to try to harness all the energy of an upcoming supernova. And they're trying to figure out how to make kind of like an expandable Dyson sphere of energy receptors that will with the nova go bigger and bigger and be trapping a lot of this released energy. I don't know, I didn't just go with the Dyson Sphere, but yeah, I was new. I hadn't read all that much science fiction, but it plays out much more like a Star Trek episode with kind of techno babble rather than science. So it's not a hard science. Yeah. And he shows up and it turns out this space station has become a confluence. He's in charge of it, but a bunch of alien species are very interested in what's happening here. And they start showing up and jockeying for political position with what the energy that's going to come from this station. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a mystery, there's a murder, and all sorts of things ensue. It's just basically murder mystery slash interaction with weird aliens. Yeah. So, like I said, very Star Trekky. Not very good. Yeah. But it is the first one that's like a real novel because White Sand didn't end at an ending. It just ended because I got to a page count. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. It didn't conclude. It just stopped. The funny thing is, though, you mentioned, Barry, my attempt at a Pratchett-esque story was my fourth book, Nightlife, with a K. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that it one was, I did read most of, I think. It wasn't a Pratchett-esque thing because I didn't know Pratchett back then. It was a Douglas Adams. Not Douglas Adams. What's his name? Bob Aspirin. It was very Bob Aspirin inspired. Mm -hmm. Very pun-centric. Very pun and very light comedy, not real social commentary, not that kind of extra layer that Pratchett or Adams could layer on, Mm -hmm. and just kind of silly fantasy. And about the last barbarian, whoever lived, and his sidekick. So, Mm -hmm. Which book was it that finally codified the rule that when you wrote a book, you had to put the fabric of the universe at peril. I don't know. I remember us having that conversation Yeah, where you're like, this is too... It was probably one of the later ones where I was trying to be grimdark. Might have been Aether of Night. 
Yeah, the fabric of the universe was at stake in Aether of Night. Yeah, it wasn't in Mistborn Prime. Mm, maybe that's the one. It's then. probably Mistborn Prime. Yeah. So this is book number ten of mine. I think is Mistborn Prime, and that one was where you know we kept going to these conventions at that time. I remember talking yeah. to an editor. I think it was Steve Saffel. It was an editor at Del Rey. I remember we had a long conversation yeah. with him, and he was very helpful. And he basically said, right now, what everyone's looking for is George Martin. Can you be George Martin? Give me an opening like George Martin. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, I've got to try to write Grimdark. And that's where I tried to like write a Joe Abercrombie-esque, even though I didn't know Joe, Joe Abercrombie at the time, yeah. like smaller stakes story about this one guy. It just didn't work mm-hmm. for multiple reasons. One of them was you're like, nothing seems to be happening Brandon, your books are better when the fabric of the universe is at stake. I've since learned how to, you know, how, how to do smaller stakes. How to do smaller well, stakes, but back then you had read several giant epic fantasies, and I hadn't figured out how to write a smaller scale fantasy yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I find that the more media I consume, mm-hmm. the more I am interested in smaller stakes mm. and weird characters. You know, like I, for over a decade, have been the story structure guy. Yeah. Because plot is very interesting to Mm -hmm. me, very something I teach a lot about. Yeah. But really, the stuff that I like to read and the stuff I like to watch, it can just be interesting characters spinning their wheels over nothing is so much more compelling. And I don't know if that's overall or just right now. But, yeah. Anyway. What was your fourth? Fourth? Because you wrote six. I wrote serial six. Serial killer was serial six. Serial killer was six. Five was Victorian Batgirl. Oh, right. So Victorian what Batgirl. Was four? Four was something weird. Victorian Batgirl. Should we talk about Victorian yeah, Batgirl? Let's talk about Victorian, Victorian Batgirl. Victorian Batgirl was, prior to Serial Killer, it was my best book. Yeah. And going back and reading it, I'm like, okay, yes. Clearly, I was a good storyteller at this Mm -hmm. point, but the premise of the book was so flawed that it was unsalvageable, which was basically me trying to write historical fiction without really knowing the historical period. The historical period. I got a We say Batgirl, not actual Batgirl. No, not actual Batgirl. It was basically kind of an urban horror fantasy in Victorian London. A girl who was raised by Roma people ends up in a finishing school and is, you know, surrounded by all of these rich, highfalutin people. And during the day, she has to go to school and learn how to be a proper lady. And then at night, she sneaks out and fights monsters. I think that would honestly sell really well right now. It would. It would be great. It'd have to be a secondary world fantasy. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, that's the sort of thing that's doing really well. It is. Right now, like, the person who did what I was trying to do mm-hmm. a million times better is Lee Bardugo. Oh, yeah. It's uh-huh. so Six of Crows. It's so Shadow and Bone. Yeah. She was able to pull off what I failed at. And so, yeah, the core premise, the history of it, the background and all of these things didn't work. But the idea, I think, yeah, the tone. there's something there. The mm-hmm. tone of it worked. That was the book that convinced me I could write horror mm-hmm. because it was very dark and the monsters were really nasty. And so, yeah, it makes sense that the next thing I wrote was Serial Killer. Mm-hmm. 
But yeah, actually for a long time, I was posting chunks of that book through my Patreon. So a lot of people have read it Mm. and I would like comment and say, okay, this chapter was good because of this and awful because of this. I don't know if those are still up or not. So I divide my truck novels into two sets, mm-hmm. very naturally. The I wrote this before Elantris, and the I wrote this after Elantris but before Mistborn, right? And so everything that we've released so far have been in that second category because it's the same sort of thing with you. Like the books are starting to get good. I just haven't completely found my voice or style yet mm-hmm. and haven't completely put them together because book six was Elantris. Book seven was White Sand, I think. Or Dragon Steel, and then eight was either the other White Sand, you know. Yeah. And White Sand and Dragon Steel are both pretty readable, and you'll be able to get Dragon Steel Prime, is what we call it now, pretty soon with the crowdfunding we have coming up in March. That's the one you can check out from the library at BYU because it's like you know my that was your my, thesis, my thesis, my honors thesis. Then there's White Sand, which we've done as a graphic novel, which is canon in the Cosmere because a lot of the characters are showing up all over the place. Whereas Dragonsteel isn't quite. It's not canonical. It's not in line with what's going on. Mm-hmm. And then there's Aether of Night, which is, you know, I did these three in a row. And that one I've given out before. You can find copies of that floating around. Yeah. We will eventually release like a prime version of that. Mm-hmm. Now you're talking about possibly, and I yeah. don't want to lock you uh-huh. or me into anything. There's no yeah. promises being made. Possibly a revision and an actual release of White Sand. Yes. Is that something you would ever consider doing with Dragonsteel Prime or Aether of Night? No. Main reasons being that they're too far out of continuity. Mm-hmm. I haven't been considering them in continuity. Like Aether of Night, they fight Midnight Essence. It shows up in Stormlight, shows up in Trust of the Emerald Sea. And we delve into the first appearances of like a shard of Aiden Alcium. But that shard's no longer canon, right? Mm-hmm. And the world building of Aether of Night is totally canon. Aethers have been showing up since late 2000s in my books. Yeah. But Aether of Night, there's nothing about that book of the actual plot. And that's the problem, right? Mm -hmm. The actual plot and characters, there's nothing about that that is appealing to me or interesting to me. Well, and that's the big thing Mm -hmm. about trunk novels is once you break in, you start selling, you get Mm -hmm. more established and you look back at your trunk novels and you're like, yeah, that was fun and vital to my career and mm-hmm. progress at the time. But I could come up with a better story and better characters and a better book mm-hmm. right now. There's no need to go back and re-release that stuff. Yeah. Hopefully, I will eventually write a book set on the Aether planet, where the Aethers come from, which mm-hmm. is where Aether of Night was. But that planet's completely different. Yeah. And the story will be completely different. Those characters aren't relevant to me. Dragonsteel... I consider lightly canon to the Cosmere in that I think the events of Dragonsteel happened mostly, but the world building's been refined so much that eventually I will write the book that will be called Dragonsteel, or maybe the series, but it'll now be Hoyd's story rather than Jarek's story. Mm-hmm. And it'll be... And the story will be completely different. Be a completely different type of story. Though, you know, little bits of it will be recognizable. Mm-hmm. And so, no, like White Sand's the one that is still canon. I've been considering it canon all along. There's no events in White Sand that disrupt that. Mm-hmm. The characters are still really interesting to me. Chris has shown up all over the Cosmere, and she's a main character in it. Bands shown up in Stormlight twice now as of the little reading I did <laughs> recently. So 
I want to get a real good Canon Pros version of White Sand out there for those who don't want the graphic novel so that it can be in the line. The big question I have, though, is will I sit down to write it and be like, I need to start on page one and just do this over? Or will I be able to revise it and release it? Yeah, that is the question. Mm-hmm. Well, as your manager, yes. <laughs> I will tell you, don't do it unless you really love it. Yeah. I wish I could remember what the fourth book, the my fourth book. book is. Dan. Oh, yeah, your yeah. fourth book. You've forgotten a I've novel. I've forgotten an entire novel. How can you forget an it entire novel? It wasn't very good. <laughs> what was it? I'm sure I read it because I read okay, Barry so and I read there's Victorian Back. Deeper into Chaos, then Blacker Darkness, and then Legend of Crag, which is the Barry book. Some unknown fourth book, Victorian Bad Girl. Were you still killer. trying to write comedy? Was it some comedic thing? I don't know. I know that they got increasingly dark over time. Okay. You know, starting at Deeper Into Chaos and then ending on Victorian Batgirl. That was the one where mm-hmm. I'm like, stop flirting with horror and just make out with it. But I cannot remember what that fourth... I'm going to have to go look through my old folders. Okay. Of See, mine are still in my, are. my Dropbox. My folders are numbered by book. Yeah. And so all 50 whatever novels are just there numbered. You can go into the folder and be like, oh, here's the... my Dropbox right here. Should I look through it right now? You should look through it Live on camera? And I'll go through what my other books are to keep people. Because I had Nightlife, and then there was Sixth Incarnation of Pandora, which is a really weird kind of bad title that was my cyberpunk-ish, starring a guy named Zellian, who was an immortal, who had lived so long it was hard for him to kind of function anymore. Who's kept alive by nanites and things like that. And then there was, oh, what was the name of that book? My ninth novel, After Aether of Night, or right before Aether of Night. I can't remember what that one is. I always just call it nine. <laughs> I found it. Okay. It was my steampunk book. I don't know if you ever read this one. I wrote like a steampunk horror version of Oliver Twist, basically. It was street urchins that get embroiled in this big thing. It's called Nightbringer. It's an idea that I have tried three different times to write. There's something not right yet about the story that I'd like to come back to it at some point, but... Mythwalker. That's the one I couldn't remember. Mythwalker. I remember Mythwalker. And then there was like, oh, it's one of those compound words. Yeah. So, okay. I never read that one. Yeah. yeah I, well, it sounds interesting. <laughs> yeah. And then for me, it ended with Mistborn Prime, Final Empire Prime, mm-hmm. which are two separate books back then. And Aether of Night, I think that rounds me out till I get to Way of Kings Prime. Yeah. In both of our cases, mm-hmm. it was our sixth book that finally sold. Yep. Though at the point when your sixth book sold, I think you had written 13. I was working on my 13th, which was Way of Kings Mm -hmm. Prime, and got to walk in, I think I've told this story before, to my theory class. Wasn't at BYU, my master's degree, where we had a theory class, like, you know, all the highfalutin literary theory, and I walked in, and Professor Jorgensen said, so anything happened to any of you this week? Interesting. I said, I got a book deal. How about that? (laughs) It was very, very satisfying. Yeah. So I introduced you to Moshe. You did. At that party in Montreal. Yep. And then years later, after I had finished Serial Killer, you sent that to Moshe without telling me. I said, you need to read this book of Dan's. (laughs) Yeah. He's written the best book of his life. 
And then the next day, after he told you that he liked it and he was going to contact me, but mm-hmm. before he had contacted me, this was back in the days of AOL Instant mm-hmm. Messenger. I was sitting at work writing about vitamins or whatever dumb thing. And then I got this all caps message from Brandon that said, my debt to you is paid, Mr. Wells. Somewhere in this Dropbox, I still have that conversation Do saved. You? I oh, should pull that awesome. out. That you would be should. a fun little Easter egg to put up. Yeah, and he liked it, and then we ended up selling it. So, huzzah! Huzzah!